0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to our discussion. Today, we are presented with a very special guest, Joe Evans. He's a congressional candidate for the First District of um, Idaho, and um, he is also a libertarian. Of course, we are a libertarian page. We are the Young Libertarians of America, so it is a pleasure hosting him. Today, we're going to be having an interview where we're going to be asking questions relating to the environment and how we can have a free trade environment. So, Without further ado, we do not want to waste his time as he is a very busy man. And um, yep. yeah, we'd like to start. So, All this right. is my colleague, I'm Moshidi, and I'm Jack yeah. DePizzo. It's a pleasure doing this.
1: All right. So, uh, for the first question we have for you, is um, what are your thoughts
2: on the US leaving the Paris Accord? Part of the thing with the Paris Accords is it's always been a uh, United Nations boondoggle. The idea was was the UN wanted to be able to control the way the land around the world was being used. That places it in government control, it places it in the hands of bureaucrats, places it in the hands of people who have no idea what's going on with the land in question. This is a problem we have already with just simply the US having control over a significant amount of the land particularly out here in the West where you're dealing with uh, issues with the California Bureau of Land Management lands that have been burning here in Idaho, here in Oregon, Washington. You know, this is a problem we've experienced through the West where bureaucrats in Washington control the lands. They control the way we manage it. And to compound the problem by allowing the UN through the peace accords, to control our land in the exact same way that Washington currently does, just doesn't make any sense considering you're going the wrong direction. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. um, yeah, so, you know, me and Jack, we're, we're really uh, undivided on what the Paris Accord, um, where the U.S. should stand on it, uh, mainly due to the fact that we feel like, um, as you said, it's, it's a bit of a jumble and, and there is too much instability um, in the entire Paris Accord, not enough accountability, and it's, it's kind of all over the place. I think that um, if America focuses internally, we could do a much better job um, rather than joining you know, 189 countries and trying to hold each other accountable. That just gets uh, all messed up with all these diplomats and whatnot. Um, So, we're going to lead into the uh, second question, um, if Jack wants to present that, or uh, I can do it. Oh, you can present it. All right, sounds great. Um, So, what is your take on how um, we can protect the environment while deregulating the economy as much as possible?
2: Well, the idea is you completely deregulate the economy. There should be no regulations involved in it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer in Austrian economics, and in order to make that happen, you literally need to get the government completely out of the economy and simply allow the situation to develop itself. Now, a lot of the original use cases for regulatory agencies like the Food and Drug Administration, you know, drug enforcement agency, USDA, was because we simply didn't have the ability to inform people when people weren't using proper techniques. Now in the years since those organizations have come about, we've adapted. Social media platforms these days are easily capable of disseminating the information out on bad actors in the economy. We go out, somebody doesn't treat us right, boom, you know, they're up on social media, and they either have to defend their practice, fix their practice, or they're canceled. Nobody will use them anymore. So the current regulations, they're outdated, they're historical, and social media actually allows us to go into full Austrian mode, because the people, the users, the client, are able to disseminate their experiences with given actors very quickly and very efficiently. So when we get back into how to handle this in relationship to organizations like the Bureau of Land Management that control our land, especially out here in the West, this is one of those things because the Bureau of Land Management is particularly a Western United States agency So I'm gonna default to that particular perspective on a regular basis simply because of where I'm from here in Idaho and the amount of land that is managed through the National Park System, Bureau of Land Management, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So how do we take all of this land that was formerly owned and or is currently managed and owned by the federal government and or state agencies the commons you know, that land that's currently owned collectively by the people because we are a government of the people by the people for the people yes um course. that starts to get a little complicated because how do you parcel out all of that land and there's simply no one who's capable of managing it effectively now you just can't get, hand somebody a million acres and say, hey, take care of this for us. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it's one of those things we need to start looking at a solution to, how to deal with it, so that we can maximize the use of that land so that everybody's able to use it, they're able to get something out of it, and they're able to make it perform the way it's supposed to, mm-hmm which is where we run into trouble with the last 40 years of environmental policies out of Washington, DC. They've created a situation that's unsustainable and it's literally blown up in our face these last 10 years with the number of wildfires continue to cause problems there, as well as the way the land continues to be misused and mismanaged by bureaucrats and organizations like the Bureau of Land Management. All right, so
1: um, what we're basically understanding is that uh, you say that deregulating the economy um, to the max, so basically no regulation, and um, therefore you basically let the people um, mold the environment and take care of the environment and not misuse it um, because the people know the extent of where to go to. Which we're personally firm believers in, um, as me and Jack believe that um, when you take a Machiavellian approach to things and, you know, you put enforcements on people and you put enforcements on land and then, you know, you say, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. Well, then it just makes people more hostile and um, psychology proves that people tend to disobey rules. Uh, They will disobey rules. They will make parks dirty. They will make these you know, I went to Zion uh, National Park. Um, you know, there's, there's some areas in there where there's no trash bins and, and the people just completely trash it. It's, it's, um, it's Frankly, it's not the best thing to, you know, completely put so much regulation and control so many lands when that, uh, as you said, could be used um, by so many people.
0: I absolutely agree. And um, I like what Joe Evans said was how the people will basically do it. They'll like, will, will basically um, regulate themselves or basically moderate what's happening. You don't necessarily need the government to do that. And, you know, the people, let's say they go to a national park and it's littered with trash everywhere. Well, obviously now in a digital age, they're going to take pictures. They're going to share them and they're going to bring attention, especially among um, the higher awareness of environmental uh, damage in the youth. And it keeps rising. So I think honestly, that's a great point. And also it helps save the taxpayer money because ultimately the government doesn't necessarily do many things effective. And I think this is a perfect example of where the people do a much better job at moderating the environment and protecting it than the actual government agencies, because bureaucracy has shown time and time again, it just doesn't work. People are still going to disobey the rules. People are still going to do what they want, you know, and especially with Um, the different ideologies present so yeah absolutely agree Mm -hmm. um
2: so talking about the issues of zion parks like you were doing early on in the year we ran into the problem with they were shutting down the parks because of the convenience back uh march uh april you know they didn't want the people in the park no this was a different issue this goes back to uh when we had locked down the parks because of financial issues, okay? The budget for the year hadn't been approved. The parks had to close down. Yeah, it was a big show. The irony was, was during that time where they laid off park employees, you actually had volunteers that had gone in to clean the places up, take care of them, make sure that the outbuildings were taken care of, remove the trash, And a lot of these volunteers that came in to take care of this while the Rangers were laid off or not allowed to work, were actually harassed, ticketed, and in some cases even arrested for trespassing for taking care of the parks, which is what they wanted to do. They wanted to go in and make sure that the state place stayed pristine because these are national monuments, these are national assets. These were organizations, these were volunteers. It's one of those things that shows you know if you allow the volunteers to do the things that they want to do they're generally pretty good at making sure things happen where we start running into problems though is with the free riders because while the parks were in business you saw an awful lot of people that showed up that were just lazy you know it's like i'll oh, the help will take care of it, the work will take care of it, the park rangers will take care of it. They'll come along and they'll clean up that campsites after somebody trashes it. Okay, so like your experience in Zion's Park, that was one of those situations. They got those people who use those areas had gotten extremely used to the park rangers, you know, the government employees handling and managing that land because the government was paying these people to clean up after people who don't respect the parks. So this gets back to the equation where how do we continue to maintain things like the parks, you know, in a situation where people do appreciate them. And one is is to take the responsibility of the ecotourism that maintains these national wildlife areas and national parks off of the hands of the government. Mm-hmm. Allow organizations with an interest with a profit to maintain to set the marketability for these different areas for these different parts. You know, what does it take to maintain Zion's Park as an ecotourism location? Mm-hmm. Believe me, the government doesn't know what it costs. Yeah, they just spend the money and they throw money at it. They're not interested in efficiency. They're not interested in marketability, you know, and certain things are allowed to happen.
1: I mean, um, you know, I, I, I think that I totally agree with you. Um, when private corporations take care of these lands, I look at um, Mount Vernon, right, in, in Washington, D.C., is not owned by the government. Um, and Mount Vernon compared to uh, the rest of D.C., um and uh some of these you know national parks that i went to was completely and utterly it was totally clean um mount vernon everywhere you went was neatly taken care of and that's because these businesses actually have accountants lawyers people that sit there um for hours and hours and as you said know the marketability they know um how to take care of their lands they know how to um generate the most money um they know it all, they, they have people that sit there and, and the government goes there to these places uh, such as, you know, Zion, such as Grand Canyon and they sit there and they just come up with one solution. Um, one of these solutions I believe dated back to about 2009 when Grand Canyon National Park decided um, we will not be selling water bottles anymore, plastic water bottles. And their um, quote unquote solution to this was to put uh, drinking water for those reusable water bottles uh, fountains. So uh, fast forward to 2020, well, guess what? COVID-19 happens, right? And people, they shut that down. So now hikers go, right? I was hiking in the Grand Canyon and for nearly six miles, I had no water to drink, right? It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, they, they come up with a solution, quote unquote, and uh, it, it just totally it spoils itself. And when a problem comes, they just say, well, deal with it, right? Uh, it, it, it doesn't make sense at all.
2: Yeah, there's no flexibility in the arrangements. You know, they, people aren't allowed to come up with options. It's like this is the policy. And until we go through Congress to change the policy, you're stuck with the situation as it is. Except we all know it takes anywhere from four to 10 years for policy to change in Washington, D.C. And it's, yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um,
1: So I think uh, we will head on to our third and final question of the day. Uh, Jack, would you like to present it? Um, I know that you were the one that
0: wanted to ask the question the most. So. All righty how do we go about preventing companies from lobbying Congress to pass anti-environmental bills, such as permitting more than healthy fume levels from factories while keeping their plants and business in America?
2: This one is a gorgeous one. And the reason why is because it was actually addressed in several instances by our vice presidential candidate during the last electoral run, uh, run for... So one of the things Spike Cohen talks about is that we go through and deregulate. What we then do is we place the onus on watchdog organizations, that's nonprofit organizations that wanna make sure that the environment stays clean. Working in conjunction with stakeholders in an area like in the vicinity of these factories to police what's considered externalities. Okay, now these externalities are normally things that the business wouldn't be charged to deal with, such as if pollution happens. You know, businesses used to be, those businesses weren't charged for handling the cleanup, which is why we ended up with a lot of Superfund sites. However, in the 70s, when we got the EPA, we got watchdog organizations, we got the ability to go in, you remember the movie, Aaron Brockovich? Yeah, Aaron went in, cleaned up the area. She sued. And that's where it is. The people in the area, the stakeholders sued the company for damages. Okay. So that's what we get back to is we take a look at policing the externalities. You know, is the pollution resulting from these factories uh, carcinogenic? Is it gonna cause cancer over the years? Is it going to affect the health of individuals in a community? Is it going to poison the water so that people have to import water in order to continue to stay and survive in the communities? So this is where we put watchdog organizations in and we sue when they go in and pollute and create those unsustainable situations. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is the employees they have to pay attention to what's going on with the industry. These are the community organizers, the watchdog groups and in a certain amount. So if you put an industry, let's go ahead and take a look at forestry, for example. So forestry used to be a real big business here in the Pacific Northwest. In some areas it still is where they've been able to acquire land and they continue to grow trees on that land for harvest, clear cut, replant, but that's industrial land. Used to be we were allowed to do all of this, cut, replant on public lands, on managed lands with Bureau of Land Management and organizations like that. So the idea is, is we sit and we continue to maintain those, allow companies to lease the land for a specific purpose so they can continue to get profit off of it with the ability to go in and recreate the environment for multi-use. So once every five years, an organization is able to come in and do a selective cut in an area. While they're doing that selective cut for that season, the area is off limits. As soon as the selective cuts done, then you're allowed to start the ecotourism back up in the area. And this does two things. It continues to maintain the area for ecotourism because the trimming of the forest keeps it clean, keeps it neat, keeps the fire Uh, Hazards under control. And it makes the place much more pleasant for those people who like to come and visit. You're seeing a lot less underbrush. You're seeing uh, better maintenance for the wildlife. Bring in ranchers uh, in order to run ranches, cattle, livestock, rewilding of wild, rewilding of livestock so that ranchers can, can continue to profit off of the land the way they used to back in the days. You know, let the cattle run, go out, collect them, bring them all back in. You know, So find a way to better utilize those multi-use lands. And that may be simply turning them over to private organizations to lease that land out in the way the Bureau of Land Management is supposed to be doing it right now. But we do that by deregulating We get it out of the hands of Congress and we put it in the hands of the courts. We sue the industries that misuse and abuse the environmental uh, that the rest of us are so dependent on. You know, as much as people like to say it's my land, you know, I can do with it whatever I want, there are certain things that we cannot separate. The air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat. These things are community resources. They will always be community resources to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. And if any of those three things are affected by the way an organization manages its business or its industry, the stakeholders that are affected by that particular industry, corporation or company need to be able to come in and sue for the damages.
0: I absolutely That agree. allows
2: a lot more flexibility in the way solutions are managed, maintained, and incorporated in the different communities. Mm-hmm.
0: I absolutely agree with your uh, stance and approach. I think by holding them accountable, but also not by being too bureaucratic, we're able to keep them, but we're also able to say, like you have to follow these regulations or you will be held accountable. Um, I really agree with that approach, and I also kind of agree with the um, ideology where no company has the right to put anything in my body that I don't want to. No company has the right to put arsenic in my water that I'm then going to drink, and for that, I should have the ability to sue. Otherwise, they shouldn't. Um, you know, they shouldn't be just uh, told off to go to another country. So I absolutely agree with your with your stance. All right. Well, uh,
1: that was a very great uh, interview and discussion we had with you, Mr. Evans. Um, it was a pleasure having you. Uh, if you have any closing statement, um, this would be the time and it would be a great time to hear from you. Um, so yeah. Uh,
2: Rodian, Jack, uh, really great having you guys invite me for uh, this discussion to talk about what we can do from an environmental perspective. You know. One of the things I wanna go ahead and address here is the nature of the politics. Now, what we talked about just now is what we call a libertarian solution to the problem. And now there are other organizations that are very environmentally centric, very eco-centric. One of those is like the Green Party, uh, you got the Sierra Club, some of these other organizations so Green Party believes in localized control and localized solutions in very much the same way. The difference is, is whether or not it's managed socially or collectively through some sort of pseudo bureaucratic organization, you know, such as a locally managed Bureau of Land Management or a locally managed Department of Fish and Game, you know, versus a fully privatized where the pursuit is the uh, profits. Or in some cases, if it's turned over to a non organization, you know, an aesthetic that that organization can afford to pursue. Mm-hmm. You know, so, all means, the libertarian solution is not the only option that's out there right now. And there are some that are reasonable, you know, even from a libertarian perspective. If you can get it down regional, you can get it down localized, where at least the community as a whole is allowed to put their input in, as opposed to the current problem that we're dealing with with Washington DC, creating these blanket policies that in some situations don't work and are frankly unsustainable. You know? So look at the libertarian solution. It is an option. Some people don't trust the pursuit of profit as a means to solve that, and that's understandable. But look and work with the people in your community because at the end of the day, those watchdog organizations that you create to maintain the discipline of the companies and industries that are working in your community are going to be needed regardless of how you approach the problem politically. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.